Hi, my name is Hina Solanke. Welcome to The Phil Fabulous Show. Welcome everybody to the Feel Fabulous podcast. Today I'm living out on Facebook and also recording for my podcast, Reinvent Yourself. Today I am joined by a British businessman, a motivational speaker, author of Rise and Fall and Rise Again, and most recently, Reinvent Yourself. Now, the person I'm, my guest today, Gerald, was famously known for a speech at the Royal Albert Hall which unfortunately resulted in 500 million loss overnight. We're going to find out why, and we're going to find out more about Gerald. Welcome, Gerald. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure, Haina. Yeah, um, I'm so glad you could um, be with us today because your story is, I mean, wow, that's just, it's incredible. Um, now, before we start the full story, I really want to know a little bit about how you started in your life. How did the young, young rather, Gerald start out as an entrepreneur? How I started out as an entrepreneur or how I started out in life? How you started out in life and then on to an entrepreneur. Okay, so I was um, born in Richmond in Surrey above a dentist shop. Um, Round the corner was my father's only shop, Leslie Ratner. Um, and my mother worked there while she, had, uh, while she was pregnant with me, so you could say that I was born into it. And, <laughs> yeah. And um, he expanded to about six shops. And um, if you have six shops today, you're probably quite wealthy, but in those days, you're struggling because, um, you know, he, he didn't have a lot of spare cash. But we did move to Hendon, um, where I went to Hendon County Grammar School and came last. I'd passed my 11 plus, but that was when I went into an environment with 33 in a class, I, I, don't, I just couldn't absorb anything. And uh, the headmaster called my parents in and said, he's come last. And um, if he comes last again. Oh, my gosh. Him, so I was expelled through um, by the headmaster, which I don't suppose they do today. Today, they would say things like, um, you know, he's got some sort of problem, a Spurgeous problem, or something like that, or no learning difficulty. But I don't know if I had any of those. But all I knew is I wanted to work in my father's business, which I ended up doing working behind the shop uh, at the age of 15. But it took 20 years. For me to take over the business and that was only because my father became very ill um, right he, he he was a wonderful man and he did a, he was a fantastic businessman but unfortunately he had a brain tumor and it totally changed his personality and made him mm. running the shop so i took over at that point but it, we were losing money um, and that's when i changed everything around i disrupted it as they like to call it today uh, but actually basically sent it down market from a posh jewellers, which they all were in those days, but not making any money. And yeah. really out of tune with young people 
who really couldn't afford to go in the show and didn't want to because there was a threshold barrier. So we changed all that, uh, right. and it was incredibly successful. Wow, so you completely pivoted the business, really, to become um, just more modern and just maybe just work with the the greater customer base than the minority. Is that what you kind of did? Well, the demographics were such that unlike today where wealthy part of society tend to be the older generation, uh, in the 80s, suddenly it was the 16 to 24s who had a lot of disposable cash and they wanted to buy stuff on impulse on a Saturday afternoon in the high street. There was no internet. Um, so the, the, the high streets were absolutely packed. But they weren't coming into our shop at all. They were walking past. They were going into Next. They were going into Dixon's. They were going into Topshop. They were going into the shops that were selling products that, that, that they could afford and that, that they liked and that were fashionable. And the jewelers right. were missing out on that completely. So I realised that I wanted to... There was no point in just carrying on being like H. Samuel and being like Ernest Jones and Leslie Davis and all the others, um, sharing the spoils, which were not much, with them. So we, we jazzed it all up, basically. We lowered the prices. We changed the product. We reduced everything in price and showed the discounts. We screamed discounts. Um, and we played pop music, which was sacrilege in the jewellery shop. <laughs> yeah. We got rid of the bars on the windows, we got rid of the doors, we got rid of the velvet pads, we got rid of the chandeliers, all of that. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, all of that stuff was a deterrent, quite honestly. If you want, the jewellers had the attitude that they had to look like a bank um, to be credible, but actually yeah. that might be the case with older people, but with, with the where the money was, that was uh, really holding us back. Yeah, interesting. So you changed the model of the business. So did that increase? Did that actually push the business um, forward? It had phenomenal effect. Instead of losing £350,000, which we did the year before, we made two million profit. Oh, uh, wow. Our, our competitors were didn't know what to do. Um, they didn't want to copy us because they felt it was demeaning that they should still stick to this posh sort of approach. But Cut a long story short, um, we managed to take over H. Samuel. That was the big leap. And when we introduced this sort of no-frills, pilot-high, sell-it-cheap approach into H. Samuel, uh, it had phenomenal effect because of the fact they had much better shops than us. They were much bigger. They had a better name, better locations. Although we had pretty good locations, they had phenomenal locations. Right. Um, so we, we, we instigated that... Um, method of trading into H. Samuel, which took their profits from 4 million to 60 million in the, in, in the same year. Wow. Uh, so we were taking more money per square foot than any other retailer in Europe. We took our share of the market to 50%. Uh, our shareholders then said, well, what are you going to do for your next trick? Um, mm -hmm. And then we went to America, made a success of that very it, America was the graveyard for retailers, um, British retailers, because they tried to export their formula. But we didn't do that. However successful our formula was, we realized the American market was very much different to here. So we partnered yeah. up. And that became very successful and still is today. So 
Um, it's worth remembering all that on the day, which I know is your next question, is when I arrived at the Albert Hall. Um, it's worth remembering that that day, the day before I arrived at the Albert Hall, we'd announced profits of 125 million and the brokers oh. were going for 200 million profit. And that was from a mm. loss seven years ago. Uh, and 200 million uh, is probably over a billion today because uh, that was wow. 1991. Yeah. And there aren't any retailers that are making that sort of profit. So it was a ph phenomenal success story. Yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. That was going to be my next question. You've obviously done this quite a few times. But your story it is just... Comes up earlier than this, but anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So how did... Anyway, so the Royal Albert Hall, you invited to speak. How did that happen? What was it about? Um, what was it meant to be about, rather? Um, and how, how, did, how did it all go from there? So I told you my cat would join me. But oh, right. Well, um, uh, yeah, I've got my dog uh, sitting there as well, so he can say hello. <laughs> he, he keeps me coming. He's waiting for his afternoon walk. I have to whisper it because if I say it loudly, he'll jump up. Yeah, that's um, it. They know the word. He brought it earlier and earlier. It used to be four o'clock. It's now one o'clock. Everything he brings forward, he's brought forward. His eating times, everything. Um, he's very pushy. But... Um, <laughs> He'd be very good in business, actually. But anyway, I'm to, I, I get back to the subject. Of, um, and it was quite an honour to be invited there because of the fact that um, they would invite a businessman who was top of his game that year. You know, you look at the people who invited before, they were successful, very successful, um, getting a lot of publicity at the time. So I was quite thrilled by the invitation, 6,000 people at the Albert Hall. Uh, quite wow. nervous, quite nervous, in fact. And it didn't contain the initial speech. Did not contain the joke about the sherry decanter being crap and the prawn sandwich. Uh, I was, uh, I sent it, which was unusual for me because I'm, I don't really uh, spend a lot of time um, discussing things with my colleagues. I just go out and do them. But on this occasion, for some reason, very unlike me, I sent a. Um, I should have learned, really, but I sent a draft out to all my colleagues on the board. None of them came back. Um, and that's why that after the speech, they, was, they said, well, you never said crap. We, we've got a copy of the speech here. You never said the crap. I said, yeah, but I changed it. They said, why do you change it? I said, well, because one of my colleagues, Mr. Hussain, uh, came into my office and said that oh. we've read the speech and we think that uh, the only thing that's missing, it's a great speech, the only thing that's missing is a couple of jokes. Oh, so I inserted those um, jokes at the last minute. So mm. they were a bit contrary to what was in the original speech because actually if you look at it on YouTube today, I'm actually quoted in that speech as saying that we've got to where we are by selling high-quality products um, by highly trained staff. Um, but then I put those jokes in uh, on his recommendation. But I'd used them before. They weren't his jokes, they were my jokes. And um, um, so I arrived at the Albert Hall. Uh, you know, joke sometimes cuts the ice a bit, sometimes you know, breaks the ice. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I took on board what he said. Um, everyone laughed at the on the day they, they took it as a joke yeah um, then the daily mirror came up to me after the speech and said aren't you making fun of your customers <gasps> uh, and i said well it was only a joke 
um, because they'd been uh, aware that I was going to make this speech. Oh. It turned out that the journalist actually was had it in for me because I had fired oh. uh, his niece. Um, the right, oh, gosh. The fact that I never met his niece and the fact that I employed 25,000 people more than the Royal Navy, just to put it in context. But nevertheless, he blamed me for that and he said he was going to get me to his colleagues. Oh. So, and it was only the Daily Mirror that ran the story. The next, uh, They were only people that wanted to run the story. But, of course, the Sun saw the Daily Mirror uh, at midnight and changed because I'd... I knew that they had a first edition that didn't contain the story, but they, the Sun, changed this front page to the Mirror's story. They liked it uh, because it was 1991 and we were in a recession. People were struggling to pay their electricity bills, and here was somebody supposedly making fun of people, you know, who were struggling, which of course never came into my head. And why would I make fun of my customers, knowing that it was? Yeah being televised the speech and reported, because I'd already given a copy of the speech to everybody in advance. Um, it was just to try and m improve the speech by making a joke. But obviously, it was a mistake, and I don't blame anybody else. Um, I should never have um, made that joke. Um, yeah, but you were advised to. That's not an excuse. Um, yeah. You'd advise to jump in the river, and you jump in the river. Yeah, yeah. Idea. Um, I don't blame him, you know, either. Um, it was my own fault. And um, it was just a miscalculation. Uh, and, it, and it had absolutely, as we know, it had absolutely uh, traumatic effect on uh, the company. And uh, yeah. a lot of the employers, not only me, lost their job. Oh, gosh, yeah. Are you still in contact with um, Hussein or Hussein? <laughs> uh, uh, he, I was in. He's older than me, so um, I I got on with him perfectly well, and I saw him uh, after I left. And I've got on with everybody in the company. Nobody's never any hostility. The opposite. That's good. There, there's nothing like that. I haven't spoken to him for a while, um, but yeah, I did speak to him for many years after he left him, and after I left him. Um, he certainly didn't do it to, to cause any problems. Uh, no, of course not. Yeah, yeah. I had to ask just in case. Yeah. So, no. so, the, so the next day, you you woke up. You heard, must have seen some of the tabloid papers. You must have. I mean, how did that affect you? How how were you feeling on that day? And then we'll talk about how it affected you afterwards. Well, it's not as bad on the day. I mean, I could certainly do without being smothered all over the tabloids, page one, page three. And it was quite annoying because everything that they said was not true, uh, that, you know, I like making fun of my customers and that I said it, oh. I said it about all my jewellery, all my jewellery's crap. I never even mentioned my jewellery. It was about a sherry decanter which we'd acquired when we bought H. Samuel, uh, which I'd already said, you know, was a, not one of our lines, but we would discontinue it because we don't really want to sell gifts, but it sold so well that we kept going with it. So it was a bit of a standing joke, this show again, but it had no reflection on anything else that I sold. Um, but of course, if you call one of your products craps and people assume that everything's crap. But of course, after the Daily Mirror and the Sun said that I said it about all my jewellery, 
uh, that then um, went into the, there was no social media. There was no internet. There was no social media. Yeah, thank goodness. Uh, yeah, well, it couldn't have been worse than it was anyway. So, <laughs> so it might have happened a bit quicker. But uh, that, that, that became public knowledge that everything I said was crap and uh, totally ruined the brand. Um, and then the worst thing. So I didn't realise when I on that day when I got all this bad publicity that it would run and run. And here we are talking right. 30 years later. Uh, I thought it would just fade away. You know, it's bad publicity, yes. I could do without it, yes. But would it be um, terminal, uh, fatal? No, but it was. Yeah. Um, because it then spread like a cancer to H. Samuel, because they, the press then got on hold of that. I owned H. Samuel as well, and Ernest Jones, and all the other business watch of Switzerland that I bought. Funny yeah. enough, in America, didn't have a blind, any different. You know, I was quite well known in America, not as well known as I was here. But they didn't regard this as a story of any significance. There was two lines. Oh, Nobody ever wrote it up at all. It was the fact that I called a Sherry de Cancer crap was of no consequence to them whatsoever. I mean, this is a British disease, British tabloid disease, um, which love. And it's all our own fault because they wouldn't write it if we didn't read it. Um, they love the story of, um, yeah. you know, bad news. So it's it took a while uh, for sales to start plummeting. It took actually as much as six weeks because after a few days, and we were only two or three percent down. We thought, you know, I talked to my colleagues, and we thought we could we could ride this storm uh, because if we're only two or three percent down, right after being on the front pages of all these paper papers. Yeah. Uh, it's going to fade away and we're going to be back up again. But, of course, it snowballed and it became more, more people became aware of the story. Um, and uh, I went on Terry Wogan chat show then to try and... Oh, wow. Put, you know, to try and, as a, to try and deal with this problem. Yeah. Uh, fight it, firefight it. That actually made it worse Oh, yeah, informed the 50% of the population that hadn't even heard the story. So there's a lesson. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> you told if, everybody. Yeah. So if, you, <laughs> so if you make a mistake, don't broadcast it, basically. Yeah. Anyway, it probably yeah. would have filtered through to the whole the country anyway. Uh, yeah, so well, I, I knew of Ratner's, and I didn't know that story, to be honest, until um, I'd heard it um, yeah. with another interview. So. Mm. Well, yeah, I sold it on for another 18 months. Uh, eventually hiring, I was a chairman and chief executive, hired a chairman to take the heat off me uh, Yeah, so more low profile. Right. deal with the banks because by then we'd suddenly gone into debt uh, because this money wasn't coming into the shops. Retail, you have one bad season and you're dead, you know, really yeah. you go from huge profit to huge losses um, because you have fixed costs. Um, so I brought him in completely opposite of me, deadly serious, straight, late, um, very sensible, you know, everything was done by the book, never broke the rules, I broke, broke right. the book, uh, but that was, <laughs> that was the right thing to do. Um, but of course we didn't get on and he, he fired me eventually. Oh wow. So you got fired from your own company? Yeah. 
Okay. So <laughs> okay. So where did that go on? What happened after that? Well, I went home <laughs> <laughs> and uh, had no money. I was the oh, shirt from four pound twenty to two p. All my money was in shares. Oh. I stayed at home watching Countdown and then got a tax bill for a million pounds because of my share options, which were worthless. So it was going from bad to worse. And I was self-isolating before it was a thing. Um, so yeah, been, oh, gosh. Yeah. I didn't go out, you know, do anything. Uh, basically gave up hope um, because I believed everything that, the press said about me that I was unemployable. Oh, but my gosh. The one thing that was keeping me sane was cycling, which I still do today, 25 miles a day. Uh, and I could see the benefits of fitness, health and fitness. Um, yeah. One thing, I had taken um, antidepressants, and they weren't working. Uh, so, but the, the cycling was working. Um and I could, I wanted to go into health and fitness business because of the benefits I could see in 1997 by now uh, of, there was a lot of people around quite wealthy near where I live that didn't really, you know, sort of had personal trainers, but there wasn't a health club there at all. So right. I acquired a building, even though I didn't have any money, uh, I just put it in solicitor's hands and started selling membership for a, saying that I'm just going to open a, a health club. Um, right. I don't know why I said that because I didn't have the money to open up the health club. I didn't have the money to convert this book warehouse. I didn't have yeah. the money to even sign it up. It's seven hundred fifty thousand pounds. But yeah, Where, I, let's just go back a minute. So, how long was that from the day that you got fired? How what period of time was that? What seven period years. of time are you talking? Seven, seven years. years of of in the wilderness. Of doing wow. okay watching counter so, wow so during that seven years i mean that must have been that must have had a real effect on your mental health so you you mentioned you you're having antidepressants you were cycling and that's really what got you through this yeah it, as it's getting me through this um and a lot of other people through this pandemic um yeah you know you get on your bike or you go for a walk and suddenly things are not so bad um, yeah feel good and when I was running public company and running around so I wasn't doing that much exercise and you you know you get this sort of pressure that you can't release but the exercise has done that for me yes yeah and whatever problems life throws out at me uh, I go for a walk or I go for a cycle or I do some go to the gym and I suddenly yeah uh, it's all in perspective. So I don't know if it works for anybody else, but it, it's fantastic for me. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I'd say it works. The happy endorphins are released and you just get a surge of energy and your your mindset is just a bit more clarity and focus. So then you went on to uh, open a gym. Yeah, you're right about clarity and focus because I get all my best ideas when I'm cycling and I'm walking, not when I'm sitting yeah. in, a, in a meeting, you know, because your mind's yeah. and you're much more receptive your brain is much more receptive to thinking yeah things than when you're sort of uh in a room with loads of people you're under pressure to come up with sound bites and ideas yeah, um, yeah. no pressure and you suddenly remember all the things uh when you're on your bike um 
that are good. But yeah, no. So I, I started selling membership in this uh, non-existent uh, gym, the health club. Oh, right. So it wasn't even open. It wasn't open. I didn't have the money to buy it. <laughs> but I, okay. to, I said that I'm going to be opening it in three months. And if you okay. join, if you join my club, I will waive the joining fee which was quite a clever idea because it meant that I could pre-sell um, the, the business. And if it didn't work, if nobody bought um, membership, I would have nothing to lose. I would just walk away. I would say to the solicitors, yeah. I'm, I'm not completing this purchase. I'm not exchanging contracts. Um, and if they did, you know, so I, I, if they did sign up, which 850 people did, Wow. Uh, be able to raise the money on that basis. And true enough, and one of the people uh, that signed up was a bank manager's wife. So that helped me. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, you need a bit of luck. So I, I sold that club, which I hadn't put in any money, two and a half years later for £4 million. Wow. In 2001. And it was a wonderful feeling to... Um, after seven years of being skint and having debts and not going on holiday, it was a wonderful uh, oh. piece. And, and not only the money, but the, the fact that um, I'd my self-esteem had totally disappeared. Um, yeah. Okay, four million pounds, not like the billions of pounds like my old company, but it actually gave me just as much pleasure, if not more, uh, because of the fact that I'd gone, um, I'd lost everything. And sometimes you only appreciate things if you've lost it. Yeah, I was just going to say, did it make you appreciate it more? So much more that, you know, when I went on holiday, um, it was the best holiday I ever had. Oh. Because, uh, you know, it was the first one for seven years. So it'll be a bit like when we go on holiday again after the pandemic, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like you had the practice. I have, I have, and that's why I'm coping extremely well. The dog is looking at me. I'm just going to let him out, won't you? Of course. This is brilliant. I hope you're all enjoying this. So informative. So it's just incredible. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was, um, that's why, you know, that's, it helps me, you know, because I've been through this, um, hardship if you like it does help you um get through situations like this and a lot of i don't want to call, use the word snowflakes of people who are moaning and criticizing and they've got good right to you know they've lost their job or yeah their business yeah but that is life there's that no is life we're not in this in the public service where you've got a job for life this is the private sector uh which is a risky career to have you know if you're in retail yeah. you know hospitality or whatever um it's risk there's you know i do hugely well out of public speaking i've lost all of that this year but oh. having said that i made a hell of a lot of money if corporate speaking is very well paid so that's the, you know that i accept that's a gamble and i accept that life uh, is unpredictable and yeah. uh, it is a blow. It's no, it's no question. But, you know, you look at people who have gone through life and haven't had any setbacks, and there is something there 
missing from them, a lack of empathy or sympathy. You know, to be part of the human race, you've had to have suffered. Yes. Absolutely. So how long ago did, was that when you lost, um, when you sold the gym? And what have you been doing since? When I sold the gym in 2001, um, Guy yeah. Goldsmiths, the jewellers, came to – he was a member of the club at Henley, and he said, what are you going to do for your next trick? And I said, I'm going to go on a holiday because I haven't been on holiday for seven years. Um, but he said, well, you should go into the uh, on the internet um, selling jewellery. I said, I can't sell jewellery because of <laughs> problems I have. <Yeah. laughs> so he said, yeah, but this is um, – you can use your notoriety to um, – your advantage because I've tried it yeah. um, because nobody knows who I am. But if you announce you're going to get a lot of publicity, you used your notoriety to generate awareness of your health club. Because in Henley, when I opened that health club, there was a lot, of, there was a whole program on BBC Two, Trouble at the Top. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of publicity which you wouldn't normally, if somebody opened a health club, they wouldn't have got. And, and yeah. One of the most important things in a health club, because there's a lot of them that's very similar, is that very simply that people are aware that it exists. And, uh, you know, everyone in Henley knew it exists. Um, and we got, you know, that's what. So he says, use this negativity, this notoriety to your advantage. Um, if you announce you're going back in the jewelry business, you get a load of publicity, you'll be free. Um, yeah. So. I did, I did, I started up, um, I put in two million pounds of the four million pounds that I just made, which was all tax-free because I'd made so many losses, uh, right? Um, so I didn't have to pay tax on the four million. And I put that into um, an online jewellery business. We started turning over 25 million a year. It was phenomenal. Wow. Um, because of the fact, at the turn of the century, it was very easy to get onto Google um, because there was no competition. Right, of course. Hardly yes. any jewelers online. Now it's okay. now yeah. it's more expensive than you know the, the the panacea of selling online. If you are, unless you're Amazon or you know eBay or something, the cost is 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 nothing like it used to be. It's ridiculously high. Yeah, yeah. So is it, is it still open? Is it still running? Yeah, we run it, um, but we we put it. Because jewellery is so seasonal, we tend to put it up at Valentine's Day and Christmas and busy. Oh, I see. Okay, so, yeah, so it's a site that goes up with seasons. Absolutely, because the thing is that uh, it's season. It's such a seasonal business. And in, when I had shops, I used to sit there and lose money for 11 months of the yeah. year. Yeah. It's like fireworks or something like that. So it's brilliant. You can't lose by um, just being there when people are buying stuff and that's the beauty of the internet um you can you don't have the overheads which you know if you have a shop yeah you can't suddenly close it and not pay any rent because yeah um so yeah just do it at christmas um and that's what wow. we've done and, i would uh, never have thought of that doing a seasonal um online shop that's amazing yeah so you then went to write your first book which yeah, yeah. Book in two thousand and eight, the first book, Rise and Fall and Rise Again. Yes, well, um, and then you just recently written. Yeah. 
You invent yourself. Thank you very much for that plug. Yeah, I don't know. Like good. Yeah, there you go. Um, which is amazing. Um, I want to know a little bit now. Let's talk a little bit more about how you've reinvented yourself because there are many, many people, especially right now, um, who are in that situation and they need to reinvent themselves. So, I mean, you've, I just think it's, I just think your story is remarkable. Yes, you lost all that, but how you actually got back up and you just went on and you actually recreated um, some greatness again. Um, so really it's within us all and it's there and whatever's taken away at any moment, can I, you can actually just put back again. It's just your mindset um, and anything can be achieved, which you've proven if you want it. So I'm going to just do a, um, a fire round now. Before I do that, what is so what are, what is the future looking like for business? What what kind of plans and what future uh, ideas or that you're able to share um, with us? Well, it's going to be uh, a difficult time. Um, but having said that, I believe that the success or failure of a business uh, depends more on you than it does on the economic climate. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of people, uh, a flop in the boom. Uh, it doesn't mean just because it's a massive boom that everybody's going to make a load of money, far from it. And, you know, a lot of great businesses have been started in recession. There's no question that we're in uncertain times. John Lewis saying that they're closing eight shops because 70% of business they expect to be online. Now, if they expect 70% of their business to be online, shops online, you can't justify any of their shops on a 30% of what it was because they're, they're yeah. so high, rents are so If you're going to just be taking 30% of what, you know, okay, the internet was 15% or 20% before the pandemic, but if it's going to settle at 70%, I, I fear for them and for everybody else, quite frankly, because also if John Lewis leave these places, then the high street is not – you know, we did well when we had good shops around us. And if half the exactly. shop, you know, it's a lot, you start, it's the thin end of the wedge. When some of them start closing, it's less of an attraction. People would not want to go to you know, Oxford Street. You know, what's that going to look like when lockdown ends? You know, there's still going to be a lot of empty oh. in Oxford Street of places. So yes. uh, it's very, very worrying. Um, but there's plenty of money around. And people are just going to spend it in different ways. And that's what you've got to find um, a way of doing. And, and, you know, if you look at what I did with the health club, I actually put my foot in the toe in the water to see whether they wanted my club by selling membership. And I, will, I would walk away if um, they didn't. So don't throw a lot of money at an idea. Uh, try and find out whether it's going to work without investing too much because um, you don't want to lose you know, um, everything or, you know, it's very expensive. You've got crippling costs with a startup or a business and you don't want to yeah. um, invest in all that when, when there's no guarantee it's going to succeed. So try and cut. I Business is risk, as I've said, but try and cut the odds in your favour. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, no, that's amazing advice. I mean, I was lucky enough to have um, had a recent um, session of mentoring with you and Rob. So I really greatly appreciate that. And one of the things that I saw straight away was you're just an out of the box thinker. You know, I, I just love the ideas that you threw at me, which were very different from anything that I've actually heard. So I appreciate that. I really um, 
Thank you for that. So let's go into the fire round now. This is a, a bit of a fun, more fun round, but you can answer them as you like. So how does Gerard feel today? And you've mentioned your cycling, but what, what else, what other things do you do for your self-care? Well, I do things, um, I, you know, I, 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 I'm not good at, um, I read a lot. I mean, reading this book at the moment, I think reading is very important. Now, that is the book that I'm reading. It's quite a big book. Sorry, I'll put it that way. Jonathan Mead. That's, uh, John That's ah. 998 pages. Um, oh. And I would much rather do that in an evening, read a book or a novel or something like that, than watch, um, I won't mention Netflix or something like that, but, you know, <laughs> these programs. Um, you don't really feel that great. Um, yeah. I got I, my partners with Gerald Online are in India, and I got stuck in India for a week because there were no flights. It was a nightmare. I hate that. I've suffered from terrible problems. But the thing that got me through there uh, was exercise and reading, um, not watching television and stuff like that. It was just that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, no. I, yeah, no. I agree with that. I'm very much the same because it's, when there's too much noise going on, it actually does affect your subconscious mind, which then affects your um conscious mind so no i'm definitely i definitely with that quietness peace um yeah definitely yeah. Um, that's a great that's a great way to relax i have to ask this yes <laughs> have you done any more speeches at the war level hall since yes i have actually ah. what happened was that when i wanted to launch gerald online in 2003 um as i discussed i wanted to get as much publicity as i could for this new venture uh, and the only thing that people are ever interested in me is the speech that I did at the Albert Hall in 1991. That's the only thing that's ever going to get me in the papers. Nobody, they don't want to write that. <laughs> I don't exist outside of those half an hour at the Albert Hall. My, you know, that is all that I, it's defined me. I'm defined by that. So I really, I thought I'd again use that to my advantage. So I sent an email to the, whoever it was, director general or whatever of the, um, Institute of Directors and said, why don't you have me back because uh, I'm launching a new thing. Um, so he did and I came, went back in 2003 and um, this time it was not a speech, it was a fireside chat as they call it. Uh, yes. And and it was very successful and it was actually on BBC News that I came back and I got this standing ovation uh, which they oh. thought very bad that all the directors um, applauded me when I did, you know, when I said the, the, what I said, but, you know. Um, they did, they all stood up and they loved the speech and it gave a kickstart to my new business. So, yeah. But, I mean, I've been everywhere with my um, speeches. Uh, you know, I do about 150 speeches a year and I've been to every single venue in Europe. Uh, doing wow. So, um, uh, this is what I really do miss at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It goes with so it. That speech, I mean, you must have some regrets, but is there anything else you have regrets about in life? Um, oh, loads of things. I mean, I'm making mistakes all the time. I'm always thinking when I'm on my bike, I think, oh, why did I do that? What a ridiculous thing. Why did I say that? Um, why did I not invest in something that has gone up or I invested in something that's gone down? You know, we all have all of that all the time. I mean, that yeah, is... Yeah, absolutely. When nobody is Midas, although I was called that ridiculously, and nobody is everything they touch just turns to gold. 
Um, but if you sit at home and watch Canada and do nothing, then you won't achieve any, you won't make any mistakes. That's true. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I very much believe that. Yeah, I mean, th that is what we do. The more, the good swimmers tend to be more likely to drown, if you like, um, because they swim at deeper levels. And, you know, the more risks you take, the more mistakes you make. But you can't beat yourself up over it. No, that's it. We're forever students of life. So for our new entrepreneurs, I'm not going to say young entrepreneurs because people become entrepreneurs at any any age. So what piece of advice, one piece of advice you would give them? Well, I would say that uh, you will experience failure. Um, I would think that um, you shouldn't give up because you know, you will get turned down uh, many times. And my nephew was upset that he went for his seventh job interview, seven in a row, and um, he still didn't get the job. And I said to him, well, don't worry, because that's about average. I think it's nine times on average people go apply for a job and they don't get yeah. it. Um, yeah. So you're doing well. You've got past the past seven. You've only got two to go. So um, failure is the route to success. Don't be deterred by the fact you'd be turned down. It would be really surprising if you went for your first job and got it. So, you know, businesses like that, um, you will be knocked down. And things don't happen overnight, you know, whatever people say. Yeah. About that. And the, you read these stories in the press about somebody who's suddenly got some website and made money. It, that doesn't exist. Yeah. 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 Are, they're made up. Business is not like that. Just like the police dramas on TV is not how the police work. You know, all of this stuff in the press about business is absolutely made up. You know, the real world is, is totally different and it's not as glamorous and it's not as fast and it means that you have to be an expert in your field and it's slow and it's plodding and you get everything right. I mean, we always displayed our diamond rings at 42 inches from the ground because the average woman was five foot four and the trajectory of her eye would fall at that level, which makes the diamond much sparkle. It's just the boring things like that. Wow, yeah. That, you know, that give you success. Right, yeah, it's yeah. great advice. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, and if there's one, the last question is, if there's one thing that you could change in the world, not COVID, what would that be? Well, I just hate the way that we treat animals. I adore uh, my dog, love him. And it's, you know, I just think we don't have any respect whatsoever uh, for animals. Um, you know, dog is a wonderful creature. All he wants is love, you know, being fed. Uh, he's always, you know, giving everybody a lick and greeting you when you come. And they're just fantastic animals. And uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, that, but uh, I wasn't like that. Um, I wasn't always like that. You know, when I was running my big public company, I would just be more concerned about you know what the share price was. But now I realise that isn't that important. Yeah, it seems like things. Your mindset has definitely gone to a different place, and I'd say that it's really positive. It's it's just positive. Everything I'm hearing is positive. So I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm going to thank you for today. The last thing I'd say, this is the Feel Fabulous podcast. What does Feel Fabulous mean to you? Feel Fabulous is just appreciating what you've got, even though it isn't, you might not be a millionaire or you might not live in a huge house. 
Um, a lot of people who live millionaire live in a huge house. They don't appreciate it. They're not happy. So just, and I, I've lost everything and made it back. And so I do appreciate things that perhaps are not that valuable or not that, well, they are valuable to me, you know, just a walk in the park and something like that. That just makes me feel good. Those are the things that make you feel good, not the self-gratification that people think yeah. more possession, all that sort of stuff. Annoyingly, that doesn't make you happy. Um, so, yeah, I feel happy just sometimes that I look out the window and it's um, spring is on the way with this horrible, oh. dark, miserable winter that we've been through. Could be something, a distant memory, and we, we're all out meeting each other, going to pubs uh, in the sunshine, and that is something to look forward to. And that doesn't cost yeah. No, absolutely. Great. Thank you. So I hope you've all enjoyed this today. If you do want to get this book, Reinvent Yourself, it's on Amazon. Um, and I'm sure it's in Waterstones and all the other books. You definitely should get this book. It's got some brilliant stories and brilliant tips and, and advice. It's almost like a masterclass in a book. So I definitely advise that. Um, Gerald, if, if anyone wants to get hold of you, they can get find you on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. The lot, Twitter, though I hate Twitter because I get <laughs> uh, people criticizing me every day. Uh, but yeah, yeah um, that's Twitter. They're not like that on LinkedIn or uh, they're, you know, behavioral, no. nice things. It's no. just Twitter, how that is. But I am on all of those things, or you go to my website, just Google me or something like that. So yeah, there you I, go. I've got Thank a big you. online presence. You have to, you have to embrace the, yeah, uh, you have to embrace Yeah, the. absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to seeing you on the next one. Bye for now. Bye.